Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. What does it mean to live the good life? What is it that we want when we say we want the good life? Today, Pastor Nicole is kicking off a new series that examines what God says is a good life. We'll not only see how God defines a good life, but also what practical steps we can take to achieving it for ourselves. So let's get started and kick off our new series. Here's Pastor Nicole. There is an American film that is rated in the top 100 of all time. Um, See if you can guess what it is as I describe it today. All right, it stars Jimmy Stewart as a man named George Bailey. Okay, that was all I had to say. All right, so let me tell you more about it. As a young man, George dreamed of traveling all over the world, but as he grew up, he made sacrifices for other people in his town, and he found himself bankrupt and brokenhearted and alone. And in the movie, George stands on the town bridge, hopeless and deeply burdened, contemplating whether he can even go another day. And then if you remember what happens, all of a sudden, uh, a guardian angel intervenes, And the angel gives him a vision of what life would have been if he had never lived at all. And George sees uh, how his actions and the way he helped people really mattered and really made a difference. And so what's the movie called? (laughs) All right. It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you watch that every Christmas? How many of you watch that uh, all year round, even when it's not Christmas? (laughs) 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 Oh, you're those people. You still have your Christmas tree up. All right. I know who you are. Well, uh, the main character in this movie, George, is really being shown how uh, he has truly lived a good life, a wonderful life, and has touched the lives of people in small but really important ways. And so we're starting a new series today, and um, I wanted to call it It's a Wonderful Life, but my, my team of people were like, that's a Christmas series, Nicole, so I'm calling it Living a Good Life, okay? So just, you know, I tricked you there. Um, but it's about the book of Titus. And the reason why I chose that title is because in many ways, um, Titus has a similar theme to this popular Christmas movie. Paul is the author of this book, and he's writing a letter to Titus, and he's giving a vision of a life. He's teaching him, this is how you live a life that touches people in small but very significant ways. And Paul is reminding Titus of the eternal consequences of each of our lives. And he's showing Titus, look, this is how you truly live a good life. And so we're going to study Titus for the rest of the month. Uh, I really want to encourage you to read the entire book of Titus in the next three weeks. Now, it's only three chapters long, okay? But I believe that we can do it. As a church, I want us to commit to every single person reading Titus this month. Do you think we can do it? Everybody, everybody, clap if you're like, yeah, I'm clapping for everyone. We're all going to do it. All right, I think that we can learn God's word. We can be students of God's word together. Maybe you're here today and you said, I've never read the Bible. That's okay. This is a great starting point. Okay, the book of Titus. You just look it up. If you, you can do it on a digital or in your Bible, someone can help you that, that maybe has read the Bible before. Now, if you want to go a little deeper, there is a Bible reading plan about Titus on the Bible app. If you go to eeriefirst.org slash Bible, you can get the Bible app. You can go to the Next Step Center if you're like, I'm not so technologically inclined. They'll help you. They'll just take your phone from you and help you put it on there, okay? And you can get it, and you can read uh, the book of Titus that also has several um, devotionals and things like that with it. 
Um, so today, you will find an insert, uh, which has the scripture we're studying today. Uh, this has the entire chapter of one of Titus on it, so grab it if you have it, or you can, if you brought your Bible, or um, if you have, there's a Bible in the P-Rack in front of you. I really want you to look at this, because here's the deal. As I teach today on the book of Titus, I'm going to ask you to mark some things. I want you to see some things. You're going to keep your pen handy. We're going to learn how to study the word today, okay, and how the word can be not just informational, but transformational. So you want to have this or at least your own Bible uh, out in front of you while I'm going through it today. Okay, so let's get started uh, by reading Titus 1. We're going to just start with verses 1 through 3. I asked Pastor Andy to stay up here and just help me by reading the scripture. So, Pastor Andy, will you read 1 through 3 for us? Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Thank you. So let me tell you a little bit about the background of this. Paul, he has planted churches in Ephesus and Crete, and he's now concerned about making sure leaders take over and care for these people, okay, care for these churches. And so Paul is looking for new leaders that are faithful to the gospel message and the gospel tasks. And he knows um, his time is coming to an end. And so uh, Paul is saying, look, every human leader has a season. And so I want to make sure the things that God did in me are replicated, uh, continue, right, with the the people that are going to be here to lead it. And so he writes letters to Titus and he writes a letter to Timothy. And he says, look, you're going to take over uh, from where I was. I'm handing you the baton and I'm going to give you a little advice on how to do it. And this particular letter was written to Titus but it was also written to the Christians on the island of Crete. Okay, Paul knew that this letter would be publicly read to the churches on the island. And so we can apply this to ourselves as Christians today because this letter, yes, it is to Titus, but it also is to the Christians in Crete. And therefore, it also is to us. So in verse 1, Paul describes himself with two words. He says, look, I'm I'm writing this letter. I'm going to tell you who I am. So look at verse 1. Take a minute and find and circle those two words that he describes himself as in verse one. Take a look at it. So Paul describes himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus. Now this is important, so I want to start with this. Servant of God. That word servant in Greek is doulos, and it literally means slave. It literally means slave. So it means that someone is devoted to another's interests so deeply that they put aside their own interests. Now, this word uh, that Paul chose not only designated a low slave, the, the lowest type of slave, the most subjected slave, it was also a word that described a slave that was in this position by choice. Isn't that good? This is the word uh, to describe a slave that said, I sign up for this. I'm not kept in captivity. I'm not in oppression, but I sign up for this kind of servanthood. I signed up for this kind of slavery. Paul chose to be doulos. And Paul was a low servant of a high God. 
That's what Paul was. He was a low, low servant of a high, high God. Is there anyone in the house today who would say, that's what I want to be? A low, low servant of a high, high God. And so a lot of times when I'm reading the the Bible, uh, praying the scripture is a really effective way to interact with the word. So when you're reading Titus over this month, you can pray through the word. Here's what you could pray when you get to that text in your personal study. Father, make me a low servant for you of the most high God. That's what you can pray right when you get there. Verse 1, Titus 1, 1. You stop right there. God already gave you something to pull out and be transformational. Actually, let's pray it together. Pastor Andy, would you help me with this? Father, make me a low servant of you, the high God. Let's do it one more time. Father, make me a low servant of you, the high God. All right. So the second thing Paul calls himself is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle, it means sent one. Paul was a sent servant by Jesus Christ. Now in verse two, Paul says he is writing this letter in the hope of eternal life. I want you to just underline that phrase this morning or circle it or something, in the hope of eternal life. That's the, that's the tone of the letter. The tone of the letter is full of hope, hope full. And Paul is very aware that what we do today has eternal implications for the future. That what we do now reaches forward into eternity. That how we live our lives today matters for future generations. It all counts. Your words count. Your actions count. What you spend your time on counts. The money you give back to God counts. Who you live your life for counts. You know, we can live in a way that bears fruit that will last for eternity. Isn't that good news? You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but maybe the season you're in or, or the particular uh, days that you have are mundane or they feel boring or difficult. And, and sometimes in our flesh, we'll say things like, what's the point? Like, what's even the point? Every time I try to do something good, something bad happens. Or every time uh, I, I try to get, go move forward in life, I get three steps back. What is the point? And Paul is answering this question for all of humanity. What's the point? The point is, it all matters. Everything you do or don't do matters. It all matters in the light of eternity, in the hope of eternal life. And in verse 3, The introduction to this letter finishes with this really, really important piece of information. And I want you to look at it there in verse three. It says, eternal life, the hope that we're writing this in, is brought to light through what? Verse three, eternal life is brought to light through preaching, preaching. Say it out loud, preaching. Put a star by that, an exclamation point, smiley face, whatever your choice of marking is. Put it by that. Thank you, Andy, for laughing at my jokes. That's why I keep you up here. (laughs) The eternal promise of God, the eternal life that is offered by God, appears when we share the gospel message. Okay? When we say it with our mouths. Eternal life is brought to light in your home when you speak about Jesus. 
Remember we just sang uh, that, that song, Champion, uh, when I lift my mouth and shout, miracles come out, something like that. Uh, miracles are, are coming out. And we sing, I speak Jesus. Why are those songs written like that? Because listen, eternal life is brought to light in your home when you speak about Jesus. Eternal life is brought to light in your workplace when you speak about Jesus at the gym, when you're with your friends, at your children's sporting events, when you're at school, when you're on vacation in a new city. You know what Joel and I do every time we go on vacation, when we walk around our hotel room, we just say, Jesus, 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 all over this place, Jesus, because I don't know who was here before. And so I'm just going to speak Jesus because the eternal life is coming out when I walk in those places. When Pastor Danielle went uh, to Africa, Africa a few weeks ago, she went to a place where maybe the atmosphere has never heard about Jesus and she just spoke Jesus with every footprint that she made and she just spoke Jesus. And eternal life is brought to light when we speak Jesus. That's what this says through preaching. As you speak the gospel, eternity enters into history. As you speak the gospel, eternity enters into history, and Christ is brought to light in the places he has talked about and taught and preached. I got a word picture of this when I was writing this down. Uh, You know, in the winter, none of us want to remember that because it's spring now, okay? But you know, when it's winter, sometimes in Erie, uh, and you breathe outside, you see like a, a cloud, right? You can see your breath, a vapor. Okay, so what the Lord showed me is that on a cold day, you can see your breath outside. It forms a cloud in the air. It's almost as if something like that is happening when we share the gospel. That Jesus, now listen, he's everywhere all the time. But when we speak about him, the scripture says the eternal truth comes to light. The truth is revealed. It's already there. But when we speak about him, the truth is revealed. It comes through preaching. And if you are a low servant of a high God like Paul, then your job is to speak about Jesus. Your job is to go into those places and speak the name of Jesus so that the eternal life can come to light. Can anyone amen that? All right. Let's read some more. Can you read for us four and five, Pastor Andy? Titus one, four and five. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Great. So the church in Crete needed order, and Paul asked Titus to put together a leadership structure. Uh, This was a big job for Titus because there were a lot of cities in Crete that needed leadership, Um, And the elders, they were, uh, we see here, they were not chosen by popular vote or self-promotion. They didn't run campaigns. Um, Titus was to choose and appoint these elders based on specific qualifications that we're about to read in the next verses. Now, before I do that, uh, I want to note here that these elders or leaders were not chosen because of their giftedness. Paul did not say to Titus, find the most gifted people and give them a job. He did not say, find the most prophetic person, find the most person who performed the most miracles. He did not say, find the people who are the most confident. He did not say, find the person who has the most natural leadership. 
He did not say, find the person who has given the most money to the church or find the person that has volunteered the most time. He didn't say that. Very, very clearly, the criteria for being an elder or a leader, those words are synonymous, was and is today godly character. It's about what's inside, not outside. Godly character. So when we look at these particular things that Paul is outlining, I want you to remember that the overarching uh, qualification for an elder or a leader in a church is godly character. Will you say those words out loud today? Godly character. All right. So uh, we're going to read Titus 1, 6 through 9. And uh, Pastor Andy, would you read that for us? These are all the ways that Paul is describing someone that has godly character. An elder must be blameless faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Thank you. All right. There are a few pieces of this passage I want to look closer at this morning. Number one, uh, the word blameless is used twice. Now, this word does not mean faultless or perfect. No human is perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. And so uh, Paul was not saying to Titus, go find all the perfect people out there and make them leaders of the church. He wouldn't have found anyone. There is no perfect leader. There's no perfect person. And so blameless means to have a good reputation. That word literally means nothing to take hold upon. To be blameless means there isn't anything that someone else can use to attack that person's life or the church in which that person leads. There's no hidden, sin, no hidden sin, excuse me, there is integrity with the person's outside life and inside life. That's what blameless means. All right, secondly, it says that an elder must be faithful to his wife. Now, in other translations you may have read, it reads, the husband of one wife. Now, this phrase has been uh, somewhat controversial in the life of the church, and some have interpreted this by saying that a leader in the church uh, can never be divorced. Because then if they were, they would not be the husband of one wife. They would have more than one wife, not at a time, but, you know. And so the phrase, faithful to his wife, in Greek, actually means a one-woman man. And so I did a lot of study on this text and, and when we, we look at the phrase, one woman man, when we read the text, it is far less about divorce or marital status. In fact, that's not at all what Paul is trying to talk about here. It is about godly character. Okay? That's what I told you right in the beginning. This whole passage is about godly character. It's about how leaders must have godly character in all their relationships. In every relationship they find themselves in. So if they are married, then they need to have godly character in their marriage, which is to be faithful to their wife. 
If they are single, they need to have godly character when they're single. If they are engaged, if they are widowed. And this is why Paul includes an example of godly character. A married man with godly character is always faithful to his wife. Do you see what I'm saying? If this phrase was talking about divorce and Paul meant that leaders could never be divorced, then he would have said that very specifically because actually Paul talked about divorce later in the scripture. Now, let me be clear. Divorce is another issue addressed in scripture and getting divorced could be an issue of godly character. I'm not trying to make light of that circumstance. Okay, divorce could be an issue of godly character, but what Paul meant in Titus 1 is not that a leader, you can never be a leader if you've experienced divorce. Because think of all the scenarios that could play out here. What if you get divorced because your spouse was unfaithful to you? In that case, are you disqualified to become a leader? Or how about if you got divorced before you became a believer in Jesus, and then you met Jesus, and then there was some radical change in your life? Does that your old life disqualify you from being a leader? If you're a widow and your spouse passes away and you get remarried, which is biblically allowed, then you are not technically a one-woman man, so does that mean you can't be a leader? If you're a single person and you don't even have a wife to be faithful to, does that mean you can't be a leader? Or what about if someone stays married technically, but is flirtatious and inappropriate with others and is having extramarital affairs, but they're married? We're missing the point, okay? The point in this scripture is godly character. The point in the scripture is godly character. The phrase, faithful to his wife, a one-woman man, is not intended to bring heavy rules or explain every possible scenario. Paul's point is this. Elders and leaders must have godly character in their relationships. They must be above any accusation or question. They must treat people with dignity, respect, and love. And they must honor God and others in a way that is blameless, no matter what relationship status they have. Am I getting your thinker thinking this morning? Emails and triberadyfirst.org. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's go to number three. It goes on to say, a man whose children believe and are not wild or disobedient. That is one qualification of being a leader. Now, let me just say this, Pastor Andy, because I know you're going to laugh at all my jokes. Paul clearly never had a toddler, okay? <laughs> right? Or a teenager, because what do you mean, never have a child that's wild or disobedient? He definitely wasn't an elementary school teacher, okay? At all. Laugh with me about this for a minute, okay? Like he's saying, your kids can never be this way. So here's the deal. Children grow up and they choose their path. And the Bible and other places talk about this. And as parents, the responsibility is to intentionally teach and keep teaching the word. It's to model how to be a Christ follower. It's to bring your kids to church. It's to teach them how to pray. And so this particular piece of this passage isn't about results or about measuring how good a leader's child has turned out. Listen, listen to me. Don't do that. Please, don't do that. That is not what this scripture is saying. That sounds terrible for us to judge other people's, other leaders' children. Do you know what this is talking about? Is that when you have godly character, you're going to teach your children that way in your home. And with God's help and with God's grace, a leader's children will follow the ways of Christ as their parents do. That's what this is about. The godly character of a person that is leading people to Jesus, leading their children with God's grace and God's help. We pray they do. All right, let's go on to number four. 
Just a little bit, just want to talk about little things in here. <laughs> Let's talk about how this chapter exclusively uses the male pronoun to describe an elder. You might read this and you might ask, did Paul mean only men can be elders or leaders in the church? Because all these examples are about men leading their families and men uh, being faithful to their wife and men. So does this mean only men can be leaders or elders in the church? And you know what? You'll never believe it, but I get this question every once in a while. Man, they're hard crowd today. So let me, let me explain to you. In the era in which Paul was writing, it was a patriarchal culture. So in most Greek and Roman and Jewish societies, women were the property of men. They were limited to domestic roles. And so it is accurate when Paul writes this passage and he only uses male examples. That is, that's accurate. That is what the culture produced at the time. In fact, Titus probably did choose men, or mostly men, to lead these churches in Crete. But the culture doesn't determine the standard. The culture is never supposed to be the measuring stick of the standard. In fact, isn't the culture the very thing that we're going upstream against so often? Isn't the culture the thing that the Christians are supposed to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the culture. That's not what, what we do. Like we're going upstream. We're not going to hate people that hate us. No, no, no. That's the culture. We're going to love people that hate us, right? We're not going to do the things that the culture says. We're not going to say the sin in our culture is okay because, you know, everyone's doing it. We're going to say, no, no, no. We have to stay holy. Okay, so in this particular passage, much of the culture of the day is that men are in eldership and leadership role, roles. Excuse me, But just because it was done that way, and that's why it was written that way, because it was two men that these are the examples, doesn't mean that that is the right way or the only way. So how do we know the right way or the only way? You might be saying, oh, pastor, you're getting to the line here. But yeah, let me tell you this. Here's how we know. We always have to look at what Jesus modeled to find the truth. So when we get into culture, we have to look at what Jesus modeled to find the truth. And Jesus, Jesus esteemed women greatly. And Jesus esteemed women greatly despite the culture. Did you know that Jesus taught women? The leaders of the church wouldn't even teach the women. They didn't need to know. And Jesus said, oh, no, no. I'm going to teach women. Jesus gave women leadership roles. Jesus gave women gifts and anointings and assignments and callings. And Jesus asked women to be low, low servants of a high, high God. That's what Jesus did. And he said, look, I am the name above all names. And so what I want you to do, women, is be low, low servants of a high, high God. Jesus treated women differently than the culture did. That is unarguable. In Luke 2, 
Anna, a prophetess, immediately recognizes the baby Jesus as the long-awaited Savior and shares the truth about him. Anna prophesied to everyone in the room, hey guys, this is Jesus. (laughs) It's a baby, but this is happening. This is the Messiah. (laughs) In Luke 10, Mary of Bethany sat at Jesus' feet, which in that culture meant she was learning how to be a teacher of God's word from Jesus. She was training from Jesus himself how to be a pastor. The women at the tomb were the first evangelists and went back and taught Peter, James, and John and other male apostles about the resurrection. (laughs) That's what they did. If they would have never told anybody, we would have never known. In Acts 9, Tabitha was named as a disciple of Christ. In Romans 16, Phoebe's called a deaconess, which is a leader of a church. Priscilla and Aquila were commended by Paul, the same guy who wrote this passage, as a co-pastors of a church. Second John was a written letter to a woman who was leading the church. I don't need to go on, Pastor Andy, do I? Because those are just a lot of examples. There's even more. Now listen, this isn't a sermon about women in leadership. There's more to unpack. There's other scripture. You might be thinking, well, what about this passage and that passage that I'm not going to exegete today? But the ultimate conclusion, the ultimate conclusion of the assemblies of God and many other brilliant scholars of the scripture is summarized in Acts 2, 17 through 18, when Peter in the New Testament, quotes the Old Testament book of Joel. He says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Thank you, God. You know, in my seven years of being here, I've never actually preached a sermon about women in leadership. (laughs) Sorry, it's a little emotional for me. But I think it's because the Holy Spirit of God just reminds me that every time someone says you can't do it, you're a woman, you can't do it. You're divorced, you can't do it. You're, you're, you're still figuring out that, that all that scripture, you can't do it, that the Holy Spirit of God is just saying, look, just be a low, low servant of a high, high God, and I'll do something with your life. And you go and you preach the gospel into places and into spaces, and that's when the eternal light will be revealed and people will have experiences with you. And Paul is saying in, in this, he says, look, um, Here's the deal. There's all these qualifications. I'm not so much worried about the system or the hierarchy that is established. It's not about scenarios or exceptions or fitting everything and everyone into a perfectly sealed box. And if you don't meet these qualifications, then I guess you can't lead and you can't preach the gospel. Paul says to Titus, in summary, listen, find good disciples who will make good disciples. Here's an example of someone that would might look like a good disciple, but this is the idea, godly character. Find good disciples that will make good disciples. And so elders and leaders are disciples with godly character who spend time making more disciples with godly character. Here at our church, we use the word elder 
for those who have served on our church council in the past or presently, in order to serve on the church council, a person has to meet the qualifications of Titus 1. And I just went through those with you. These men and women live godly lives. They let the gospel shape them. Then they share the truth and the hope of a good life with others. And they are disciples with godly character who spend time making more disciples with godly character. That's who they are. In fact, if you're an elder of our church, if you've served on church council past or present, would you stand this morning? I didn't even tell him I was gonna do this, so would you stand up? Just stand up. Thank you. Thank you for serving the gospel and living out Titus 1. Thank you. You can sit down. Elders and leaders are disciples shaped by the gospel who are committed to shaping others with the gospel. Now listen, whether you are considered to be an elder and a leader here today, or maybe uh, you are an elder or leader, you just haven't served on church council yet, that's, uh, that's a possibility. But maybe you would say, I read over these things and I couldn't be an elder or leader because my, my character isn't where it should be. Listen, we're all supposed to be on the journey to godly character, which prepares us to be an elder or a leader. That is the gospel mandate. That's the good life. That's the wonderful life. It all matters, okay? That's what it's saying, is live your life in a way that you as an, you could be an elder or a leader. You could have that godly character. And as you read through those qualifications, pray for them. Ask God to make you blameless. Ask him to help you honor the relationships in your life. Ask him to help you not be quick-tempered or given to drunkenness. Let the word not just be informational today, but transformational. God, make me someone that can say I have godly character. All right, I'm going to close up here. There's more in Titus 1, but I want you to read it because like 30 minutes ago, you told me you would. Remember you clapped? Okay, so holding you to it. Challenge accepted. I want you to read it this week. I want you to pray through it. I want you to mark it. I want you to try to get God's word in your heart. Will you stand to your feet this morning? We started with Titus 1-2. It showed us as you speak the gospel, eternity enters into history. So here's how I want to end. If you need to go, no problem. You, you can scoot out. We understand if you got to get your kids or go to lunch or whatever. But we're going to end. I'm gonna, I asked the worship team to lead us in this song, I Speak Jesus Again. And if you would just say, you know, I understand this is the mandate on my life. And I'm gonna go into uh, my workplace, I'm gonna go into my family, and I'm gonna go into the places God sends me everywhere I go, and I'm gonna speak the name of Jesus. I'm just gonna ask you to come forward. Let's fill these altars and just sing this last song together and pray through. You can come now if you want, come on. Let's sing this song. We speak Jesus in those places. We want to be shaped by the gospel. We want to help others be shaped by the gospel too. God, would you make us uh, leaders? Would you make us people that have godly character? Would you help us be blameless, God? Would you help us be people that are faithful to the relationships in our life? Would you help us uh, make sure we're not quick-tempered, God? Would you do the things in our life that need fixed? Lord, here's our whole heart. God, you can have it. You can have all of our life. God, do the surgery that we need. <laughs> Work in our lives. God, help us not disqualify ourselves, but Lord, we give ourselves to you, and Lord, you can make us qualified, God. The anointing that you will give on our lives. Lord, we trust you. You hear our yes this morning, and we commit to speaking Jesus everywhere we go. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
sanctify you through and through. 
and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.